0: plushcare.com slash weight loss Welcome back to the Women's Podcast I'm Rosheen Ingle standing in for our host Kathy Sheridan while she takes some well-deserved time off Now, in September, the Gate Theatre hosts one of the most anticipated productions of the year. Oscar-nominated Irish actor Ruth Negga will play the lead role of Hamlet as part of the Dublin Theatre Festival. The story of how we arrived at this moment began with Waking the Feminists. Just recently, 10 of the country's leading theatres, drama festivals and theatre companies agreed to a whole range of gender equality policies, which in some cases will see what's called gender-blind casting or ensuring that half of new shows will be written by women. A major catalyst for this change has been research commissioned by Waking the Feminists and led by the academic Dr Brenda Donoghue. Her research was called Gender Counts, an analysis of gender in Irish theatre from 2006 to 2015. Published last summer, it found that women are underrepresented in every role across the top 10 funded theatre organisation, except in costume design. That's the only one where women were more prominent here in studio to discuss how this research has been acted upon in the past year is the woman behind the study, Dr. Brenda Donahue, and Lynn Parker, who is a director and co-founder of the Rough Magic Theatre Company. You're both very welcome to the podcast. I'll come to you first, Brenda. You did all the gender count um, back a few years ago when this whole Waking the Feminist thing happened. I always think about Waking the feminists very much in terms of this podcast because it was at the beginning of it. So it was a very exciting time actually to be starting doing um, some broadcasting around women. But tell me about these uh, gender equality policies, because we've talked about it a lot. We've done a lot of thinking about it and consciousness raising. But now it's time for action.
1: Yeah, so um, 10 theatre companies were involved in uh, developing these uh, gender equality policies. Um, And uh, because each of the organisations involved um, is different in composition. So you have like um, the Cork Midsummer Festival, for example, and then the likes of the Abbey Theatre in the Gate. So they're tailored to each organisation's individual needs. Um, So I think that's a very smart approach. Um, because it would have been quite easy to kind of um, come up with a one-size-fits-all approach, which may have looked good on paper, but in terms of implementation, mightn't have worked out so well. Okay. Um, so I'm delighted that the companies have taken the time to uh, look at their uh, own structures and their activities and looked at you know, how people are involved in those structures and activities mm. and you know, then come up with policies that address the, the particular needs of the organisation.
0: And tell me about some of those. One of them is gender blind casting. I'm intrigued by this. How do you cast gender blind?
1: Um, So, well, maybe (laughs) Lynn might know a little bit more about this than me. Um, But I suppose uh, the principle is that, um, you know, that uh, gender perhaps isn't as, as fixed or as, you know, um, a kind of unmovable requirement, as you might think. So it's just having some flexibility around that idea and saying, you know, well, look, we have this character. It has been a traditionally male character or even a female character. And is there, you know, could that move, you know, and what would happen? So I think um, Lachlan Deegan was speaking about, um, I think sometimes people, when change comes, tend to look at the negatives So, you know, oh, well, what would that do to the tradition or, you know, but there's also, you know, with every change, there's a possibility for negative change, but also for great positivity. So I think that this idea of gender blind casting um, could be very exciting and could bring a lot to works of art that have been uh, perhaps stuck in a mode for a while. Yeah.
0: Can you say some more about that than how it might work, uh, the casting, but also just in Rough Magic, Lynn, what you found uh, coming from the Waking the feminists and how things have changed and how you hope things will change even further in the future?
2: Well, maybe me just talk about the gender blind thing first, because I think a lot of people are quite alarmed yeah. by that idea. <laughs> And uh, I would assure everyone that this is nothing new. I mean, this has been going on for decades, and and I found this old photograph of a student production I did of the, uh, the, the medieval play Everyman. Everyman is an iconic figure, of course, and the person I got to play this part was none other than um, Enright. Okay. <laughs> so you, if you look at it a certain way, there is no reason why that totemic figure can't be played by a woman. So it's really just it's, it's how you view the what the nature of the part is and you can't do it with everything. Hmm. Don't worry. I don't think we're going to get loads of Chekhov plays. With, you know. Well,
0: having said that, looking at um, The Gate and the upcoming production of Hamlet with starring Ruth Neger, yes. which is really mm-hmm. interesting. And actually, we should talk about Selena Cartmel because it's it's quite significant what has happened in the time that she's been director of The Gate and how, uh, in terms of directing and writing the plays, the the increase of, of women. But there's an example there. I mean, some people would say, Well, why would you have a, a female Hamlet? What's the point? Hamlet was a man.
2: Well, originally, of course, everyone was played by a man because that's what Shakespeare did. So it, it's it's actually how you interpret The the piece at the minute I'm rehearsing A Midsummer Night's Dream and we are doing uh, two plays with a company of eight actors, four male, four female, and they will go across both productions. That's A Midsummer Night's Dream and A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, which, of course, you know, is a a male view and the uh, and, and both are male writers. With Dream, you're you're looking at um, a, a, a character called Puck, who is a geyser. So the geyser can be any... any. At one point, he's a crabapple, you know. So, actually, this part is now being played by Amy Conroy, but she's also playing Hippolyta, the warrior queen. So when you have a... Have a, a, a a production where you're doubling, it's very easy to be fluid. And gender fluidity is so current at the moment, anyway, that it would be a shame not to take advantage of that. Mm. When it comes to the Joyce, What uh, Ronan, the director, is interested in is the fact that Joyce was a a modernist and we are looking at an explosion in culture at the beginning of the 20th century which involved a huge shift in what women were able to do. So it makes sense within the context of the production Mm -hmm. to view it from, from that angle. And we also wanted to serve our actors and we wanted to have a gender balance because we've always had a gender balance. Now, I mean, I think what's happening at the gate is really exciting. But you have to say that that was a particular uh, example of very poor gender policy because there was so little um, done by women writers and women directors. So Selena has made huge strides. But I would love to make the point that in independent theatre in general, there has been a very good gender balance and i'm not saying that there isn't a problem of course there has been but it's really a few very unfortunate examples that people have focused on and our sector is and certainly a lot of the independent companies have been formed out of gender balanced uh, groups of people and you don't get the same problem when you've gender balance it's really that simple so it's 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 how the work is viewed the how the stories what what interests you in the stories and and how you tell them that's that's the point.
0: Mm. And Brenda, you did the gender count and you identified that yes, in fact, I know what Lynn's saying there, mm. and there, that there are more egregious examples in certain areas. But, but you found that there was that Irish theatre did have a gender problem, and you were able to get the statistics for that.
1: That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think um, prior to uh, publication of the report, you know, there was still a lot of debate about whether women were underrepresented or not, and. Um, often in in debates and arguments, people would pick out one example of somebody who was on the stage and uh, in, a, in a large theatre. Um, I think the, the point that Lynn makes is a good one. Um, I think what we were interested in was linking uh, public funding to gender balance. And that's really where the problem seemed to lie on the upper end of the scale. Mm-hmm. I think with the gate, it's such an interesting example because, um, as Lynn has said, many of the theatre, the independent theatre companies have have less of a, a problem with gender balance, and that has been traditionally been the case. And I think that you know the the larger organisations, those that are you know receiving higher funding, have a lot to learn from from maybe smaller units. Um, but I think with the gate. Um, uh, a lot of the discussion around the gate at the time was, you know, that it would be so difficult to change and, you know, it couldn't be done. And, you know, uh, timeframes were too ambitious. And so Sarah Durkin called for 50 uh, 50 by Sarah 2021. Is one of the
0: activists and waking the feminists. That's yeah. right,
1: yeah. So, and at the time when she made that call, a lot of people were saying, you know, I mean, it's great to be ambitious, <sighs> but, you know, um, quite cynical about the possibility of change. And I think what has happened at the gate, and all credit to Selena, Within, so those statistics, as far as I understand, um, uh, pertain to season one. Um, so uh, that, you know, there has been a, an absolutely huge change there. Um, and it just goes to show that, you know, if somebody makes it a priority, then it can, uh, things can change and it, within a very short time frame.
0: Yeah. And one of the, so the gender equality policies were launched in the Lear um, recently, and Joseph Amadigan, the Minister of Arts, was there. And one of the things that uh, people have signed up to do, and I know you said that each of the 10 institutions are all doing their own um, policies so that the, that reflects their own structures that, that are there. But one of the things is to explore the female canon that, that does exist, plays that have been written by women and that are maybe been neglected or not put on and just not thought of. So is that something you're excited about? Because I know you looked a lot at, at um, you know, how many plays were written by women, say, in the Abbey and I know that in the past. Yeah, I'm
1: very interested. I think um there is a kind of a body of scholarly work um carried out by people like um Kathy who who's um was a lecturer in UCD until recently, Melissa Sierra. Um and there are many young scholars coming up who are uh, you know coming up with uh, managing to find works that have been buried essentially in the archives. Um, I'm really interested in you know looking at those works and looking at them in terms of I'm generally interested in in women's history. Um, when I studied history at school, for example, there really wasn't any exploration of you know uh, you know women's history and the the milestones. Mm. Um, so I think that you know looking at those plays, um, you know dusting them off. Um, Now, not all of them are going to be good quality, (laughs) you know, Uh, that's just uh, the way it is. But, um, you know, I think there may be some really interesting finds there. And Mm. I think that, you know, if the um, I know with the Lear, so Lachlan Deegan, who launched um, the uh, gender policies, um, he uh, is the head of the Lear, which is embedded in Trinity College. So I think that that link between you know, the sector and the university, I think, could be very fruitful. Mm. And I'd like to see more interaction between practitioners and, mm. and scholars.
0: One of the things that was said at the launch um, by a couple of people was that there, there isn't this big stick waving around that people aren't having to be pushed into this, that there's a real enthusiasm within yeah. the uh, sector for it. So Lynn have you found that? Do you think well, there's this sense of community and everyone wants to do this and everyone knows uh, it's the right thing absolutely.
2: to do? Absolutely. Actually, the day of the Waking the Feminists um what uh, was it, show, at the Abbey. Um, it was fascinating. The Abbey had uh, provoked the problem, and, or the reaction rather, and yet everybody in the Abbey you felt was totally behind you on that day. So many of the staff were coming up saying this is really wonderful, so exciting. And, you know, when we started rehearsals a few weeks ago, I did something I've never done before which was uh, draw attention that casts attention to our gender policy. Now we've never it never even occurred to us to do that because we have a culture of gender balance but it was a very healthy thing to do and it brought up some very interesting discussions about the whole dignity in the workplace you know how, how just how you operate as professionals within uh, uh, what should be a very fun and, and mischievous environment mm-hmm. but it has to be a a, a trusted environment, and that's where making these statements really matters. So everybody knows where they stand.
0: Mm. Um, just speaking again about writers, uh, since waking the feminists, have you noticed? Because one of the things that was said was, "Well, where are the plays by women? Where are the women writing plays?" You know, that was some, some of the maybe the argument coming about it. Mm-hmm. Is it is it that they're not being put on, or are they actually out there? Have you noticed more submissions from women who've written plays, or more writing going on, or anything like that?
2: Not necessarily, because we always had submissions. And the point was the plays weren't going on on the major stages. There yeah. were plenty of plays going on, um, uh, and companies like our own and, and and the Fringe and and what have you, and all all around the place, and and travelling as well. You know, uh, uh, people like Sonia Kelly going to Edinburgh. You know, it's 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 like we always had this great bank of work, but it just wasn't getting to the the, the higher profile stages. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think that was presented as a problem when it wasn't really a problem. So I think the real problem there is what we call the pipeline issue. So that um, uh, certainly the the results of the report would say that, you know, you have plenty of women graduating from drama and theatre studies courses. Um, and then that um, in terms of the companies that had the highest representation of uh, women. You know, you're looking at the independent companies, uh, you know, like Rough Magic, uh, the Dublin Fringe Festival. um, And then it's as you, um, so as career progression kind of takes over, as you move up the ladder, that the women were falling away. So while if you are working in one of those large organisations, you might perceive that the women aren't there, they're just further down the pipeline. Okay,
0: so is there a, is there a, a sort of ambitious target now with these with these policies? Is there actually like in five years we want this to be happening? And I suppose if there isn't an improvement in a few years, what then? How can we you know go further with it?
1: Yeah, so some of them um, uh, have uh, aimed for gender equality within five years and uh again i would strongly encourage them to work towards that um a, a huge part so one of the recommendations of the report was um in terms of uh, gathering data and measurement um so uh the report uh, was funded by the arts council But there was no such report in an Irish context um, that existed before we did it. And that's kind of common internationally. It's very difficult to find funding for this kind of work. So as we were finishing up the report, the research team had a discussion uh, and we were talking about, you know, we don't like the Waking the Feminist was never meant to be a flash in the pan. It was always about sustainability and about uh, being able to, uh, you know, to carry on the momentum. So uh, we were worried when we were finishing the report because obviously uh, we don't have the resources to monitor this. Um, it was a huge project. So uh, essentially what we did was in the report, we um, the recommendations, we uh, kind of handed responsibility back to the companies. Um, and the companies um, have, uh, many of them are using the template that we provided. So it's kind of self-reporting and monitoring. We think this is useful for two reasons. So it's useful for kind of how you organise your own organisation in terms of, um, you know, you can see if there if a problem kind of crops up because, you know, it can happen, everybody is busy. Um, so it helps in, in that sense of, uh, as a tool for internal reporting. But I think it has a second function, which is really to kind of, um, it's, Gender equality is a shared project, so we encourage the companies to publish their uh, statistics on a regular basis. Um, and really, that allows you know the audience, people within the industry, um to engage with the gender equality project within the organization in a very transparent way. And mm. um, so, one of the things we say as well is that you know we have that ambitious target of um you know 50 uh, 50 in five years, but you know it's it's not strict in the sense that you know you need 50% across the board in each role each year you know that there is flexibility there and there's flexibility there to allow the sector to to breathe in creative terms um but we just think uh, that that kind of transparent reporting and also the use of the tool for internal reporting will be a good check you know, which will allow things to, you know, the transparency particularly. So, you know, that um, if it becomes evident that a company isn't making progress, that, you know, therefore the, their audience can can step in and say, well, you know, we're not happy about this.
0: And, and then going back to The Gate, because it is such a shining example and such a short space of time and our, one of our, you know, major theatres, it's it's doable. Like it's it's really if the if the will is there and people want to change this and want to get more gender equality, that it's really possible. And, and you've been doing it yourself. And as you say, many smaller um, groups have been.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, the gate is the news. Uh, I suppose what isn't news is is that th- that there has been um, a shift over the last decade in so many areas where women are now so more advanced. If you look at lighting design, like many of our really top lighting designers are women, and it's starting in sound. Design. Design as well. So in the the, te- the field of technology, that change is happening organically. What we are looking at now is an acceleration, which is w- what was needed because we, we can't wait around for another fifty mm. years for this to happen. You know?
0: mm. Just finally looking back on waking the Feminists, it's really incredible, and you both were so part of it from from the beginning. Just the impact that it had, and just to come from a few years ago when when you mentioned that show in the Abbey with such energy and such enthusiasm and Leanne's first tweet, even when she called, um, you know, called out the thing about the the new the programme for the Abbey. It's incredible what's happened actually in a few short years.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you genuinely feel that, that the ground is rising to meet you now. And uh, I think world events have uh, coloured all of this and, you know, so many of the revelations about this, that and the other as we know, um, have uh, made the topic so current. But you sort of felt that this groundswell was on the way and that Leon ignited something that has just really kept a light. What do you think, Brenda?
1: Yeah, I think, um, like, it, just looking at the sector, there have been so many developments. Um, you know, uh, even the um, arts minister, the former arts minister, Heather Humphreys, has asked all the national cultural institutions to um, uh, produce a gender policy by the end of this year. Um, in response to um, the allegations of bullying at the gate, the Irish Theatre Institute have, um, or are in the process rather, of developing a code of behaviour for bullying and harassment. Um, I think this this recent announcement from the theatre companies. Um, I think you know you can see change happening. Certainly, when I go to the theatre, there's a, you know there's a new energy and it makes it very exciting. Um, I think that um, I'm really delighted. I think that Wake and the Feminists really um, challenged the companies. And I think there were, there were some very difficult moments, you know, because, I mean, nobody likes it when uh, somebody appears and tells you that, you know, you're not doing your job uh, correctly. And it can be very difficult on a professional and a personal level. And I'd like to congratulate the companies because I think they've really faced up to that challenge. And now I think that they're in a great position because they're essentially leaders in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, we couldn't have hoped for anything better. One thing I would say is that... Um, some of the myths that kind of around women in theatre that uh, were in place before Waking the Feminists, some of them have definitely been dispelled. So, you know, that there are no women in theatre, um, you know, uh, like there's obvious that there's a wealth of ta- talent there. There's a couple that still persist that I, I would be happy to, <laughs> uh, to uh, show the door. One of them would be that plays by women just um, aren't of good quality. Mm. Um so this is something that's kind of reared its head in the last couple of weeks
0: since the announcement. Um, How has it reared re- its head? Where has that come from? So there has
1: been actually there was a letter to the Irish Times.
0: Oh, I missed that. Um, <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> um, which, you know, is essentially saying that, you know, it's favouring balance um, uh, over quality and that some very well written plays by men would be sacrificed for poorly written plays by women and now I'm paraphrasing here obviously mm. um, uh, somebody called E. Wilson um, wrote a letter yesterday
0: We don't know if it's Elizabeth or Ernie Yes, or the-
1: <laughs> I was wondering myself um, which basically said you know, it's that's not the choice the choice perhaps is we could choose some of the plays by men that aren't of as good quality and replace them with good quality plays by women. So, you know, I think that that's an interesting debate and I think it's, it's it is, it's based on a kind of a an underlying assumption. It's a traditional assumption. And I think they're some of the most difficult ones to get rid of. One that's linked to that and that again is, seems to be appearing, is that Plays by Women just don't sell tickets or that they're a commercial liability. Lynn so is shaking her head very seriously <laughs>
0: there.
1: So, I mean, uh, there are Commercial to, liability. Oh. Yes. There have been discussions around, you know, um, not being able to find plays by women that would fill large venues, for example. Um, And I myself uh, wrote a letter to the Sunday Times Ireland edition last week on foot of some comments by uh, Graham McLaren, who's uh, co-director of the Abbey. And he was speaking a little bit about um, two plays written and directed by women that they had staged in the Abbey. And uh, he commented that they had low ticket sales um, and then kind of went on to a general discussion about how there's not an appetite for that kind of work. So to me, the most worrying thing about that is that, um, you know, two specific examples of plays by women is then generalised to become a comment on, on work by half of the population. And you know, I do wonder if in in that their tenure, if there were any plays by men that had low ticket sales, and yeah, I'm sure did that there provoke were. a similar <laughs> yes. reflection on, on the gender, they yeah. stage plays by
0: men in yeah. long yeah. run? Lynn, so. would you like to come in on that one?
2: Well, I, I would just like to say that all new writing is difficult to sell, and it doesn't matter what the gender <laughs> is, and if we're if we're dealing with. Uh, women's writing—it's—it's uh, it's more likely those are the new plays. Mm. So we have to work harder at selling new plays, not uh, uh, showing women the door. I mean, that's—I um, think that that that—that's a really misleading statement. You know, if you look like, at a show like Little Jam, or even like further afield, if you—if you look at the West End, you know, uh, writers like Jennifer Haley are, are are really sort of at the, at the top level of uh, attracting audiences now. And y- you know, the, the, London, of course, uh, has a much greater demographic. So you know, there's there's just a, a much bigger and more theatre interested audience. But I think that's the thing that we have to tackle here. Mm. It's nothing to do with gender. When there's a a good show, people come come to see it, and the word of mouth doesn't t- doesn't care what, what the writer's gender. Is. does it
0: worry that the, when the co-directors of the Abbey would would come out and say something like that? Um, in it sort of it sounds like you know, I don't know how. how I didn't read the interview, but for him to put that out there, um, it seems maybe not as supportive of all this as, as yeah, it could I mean, be. I mean,
2: I, I, I doubt if he meant to diss women's writing. I think he just needed to phrase it differently. Mm. I think he, he needed to come at it from a, a different perspective.
1: But also I'd be interested in, um, so I think the path to gender equality, you know, it's not just full of successes. You know, you are going to run into some potholes and, you know, some obstacles along the way. And what I would be interested in seeing is when you when you run into those potholes, that you look at all of the factors that might have contributed to low ticket sales, for example. So they could be within the production, they could be external factors, but also um, some of them may be linked to gender, but maybe they're not. And um, yeah, what I find worrying about that is that the 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 jump from low ticket sales to you know, there's not a sustained appetite for a long run.
0: So what are both of your hopes then for, for this? And, you know, if we were having a chat in a few years time, what would you like to see changed?
2: Um, in a way, I would like to see Brenda's work finished because <laughs> you because want to get her, out too. of a job I think we <laughs> too, just, uh, no, honestly i'd like to see us evolve to a point where this was no longer an issue mm. and i sort of feel that we're you know we're in that lucky position where we we have um uh, now uh, uh, an agreement across the sector we also have a sea change and eventually it shouldn't interest anyone what gender your board or your even your your cast is because the balance is natural and i think once the once the adjustment has been made we can program naturally and achieve gender balance because that is actually the natural order it's been skewed up to now and we're putting it right
0: excellent brenda for you um, so, so you'd be I, out of a job. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not very well paying,
2: <laughs> um, <I> at all. <laughs> there's plenty more for you to do in other sectors, actually.
1: Um, so yeah, I'd like to see gender parity in theatre. Um, I'd like to go and uh, not have to think about gender when I go to theatre. I'd like to go and see bad plays written by women <laughs> and good plays written by women and directed by women, um, and ultimately. <laughs> I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned from this. I think, like, I, you know, I'm very interested in equality and gender equality is just one type of equality. Um, I noticed that in the policies um, by some of the companies, they make reference to, um, you know, uh, inclusiveness for non-binary and trans people. Um, and I think generally um, that Ideally, if the lessons that we've learned in this small sector of, uh, you know, of diversity and inclusivity could be expanded then mm. to include different types of people, because I think the more diverse that Irish theatre is, the more interesting it'll be.
0: Mm. Well, I'm going to leave the last word to a man controversially, but Lachlan, <laughs> Lachlan Deegan said at, at the launch of, of the gender equality policies in the Lear, he said, Waking the Feminist was the beginning of the end of inequality in Irish theatre. And this is the end of the beginning and that there's been enough talk and it's time for action. So I think that's pretty much we all agree with that and um, yeah, the best of luck to to all of you who are involved in it and I'm, I'm sure when we are talking about it in a couple of years time that things will be different and even more improved. But thank you both very much for coming in. Thanks. Cheers. And that's it for today. Thanks to Brenda Donahue and Lynn Parker. I should say Dr. Brenda Donahue because we all know about the hashtag immodest women. And it's very important to call yourself doctor if you are one. So thanks to Brenda and Lynn for talking to me today. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you can always find us on IrishTimes.com. If you do want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast, or you can email us on the Women's Podcast at IrishTimes.com. Also, we do enjoy a bit of pre- from time to time so if you like what we do then please head along to iTunes give us a review and tell all your friends about it the podcast is produced by myself Roisin Ingle and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound until next time thanks for listening